I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Red alert. All hands stand to battle stations. Luck as foils attack positions. Prepare for battle! Autobots, roll out! Get ready, it's your weekly dose of nerd culture. All wings report in. With your crew, Obi-John Kenobi. Hello there. Commander Scott. There's nothing amazing about it. I know this ship like the back of my hand. Julian. You tell him I'm coming! And hell's coming with me, you hear? And the Doc. Great Scott! Movies, TV, streaming, video games, comic books, board games, toys, collectibles, cosplay, conventions. If it's happening in the world of geekdom, we're talking about it. So lock and load, bag and board, and roll for initiative. We've got your... Nerd Alert! Good evening. Ah, ah, ah. Hey, hello there. It's Obi John Kenobi, your favorite host in all the podcasting. I wasn't going to do that voice the entire episode. That just get annoying, I think. It's just a, just a bad impersonation. But hey, welcome to your brand new episode of Nerd Alert. I am your host, Obi John Kenobi, your favorite host in all the podcasting. And this week, we are going to take an abridged, very abridged, or stroll. Through the world that is the franchise of Dracula movies. Uh, we'll get into whether or not Dracula is a franchise. But to help me do this, to help me break all this down and debate how you define stuff. Uh, welcome my sole and only host, the right-hand man. The man who keeps the nerd in the top nerd and Timmy network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the bridge, Commander Scott. Um... I just recently learned about what I think is generally considered the longest marathon ever run. Oh. I don't know if you've heard about this guy here. Um, Forrest Gump? No, no. That's, that's, he, I think he runs a close second. <laughs> I think he runs a close second. It's a, it's a Japanese marathoner named uh, Shizo Kanakuri. Okay. Uh, so Mr. Shizo Kanakuri was the first, I believe the first, uh, Japanese runner. Um, and I'm paraphrasing a lot here cause there's a lot of information in this, but he's the first uh, Japanese runner to make it to the Olympics, uh, in the fifth Olympic games, uh, in Stockholm, Sweden in 1912. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. He had ran several marathons in, in, in Japan and stuff. Uh, he had set what was widely believed to be a record for the mar- for a marathon earlier that year. Um, however, at around the 16 mile mark, he vanished completely and utterly. Just poofed. Just gone. Just just poofed. vanished. Poofed. Um. The uh, so uh, the the first runners to cross the finish line in 1912 were a pair of South Africans. Um, one by one after them, the rest of the field followed across that finish line, exhausted, relieved. I mean, it's a marathon after all, you know. 
However, Kanaguri never showed up. Uh, race officials could not find him. There was a search that was kind of, you know, put into place. But, I mean, it, it was 1912. There wasn't, like, the media coverage and stuff like you have now. So they, they tried to find him. Eventually, they gave up. The Olympics packed up and left town. Uh, soon after, of course, you know, this is 1912. So the world goes to war. People kind of forgot about it. And in Sweden, he was just considered missing. He was just listed as a missing person. Um, That's crazy. Yeah. So, uh, now, what happened was, uh, he stopped and he went home. Yeah, he went back to Japan. He said, screw this and walked home to Japan? Well, the thing is, uh, so... He arrived in Sweden and he was exhausted from travel. It took him two weeks to get to Sweden. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Two weeks just for the travel and everything. Um, July temperatures, it was it was over 90 degrees. Uh, he had apparently he had only like flimsy street shoes, which are no match for the the the, the like the gravel course that they were on and stuff. Um and uh, in fact, one Portuguese runner in the thing was hospitalized and, and died the next day. Like, you know, yeah, people, people didn't make it through this race. Uh, and, uh, so apparent, apparently according to the, to, to, to what eventually came out, Conakuri was about two thirds of the way through the race. He stumbled off the course into a garden area. Some reports suggest that he passed out maybe perhaps because of heat stroke, um, but uh, he wound up on the farm of the Petra family. The family fed him raspberry juice, fruits, cinnamon rolls, and gave him new clothes and a place to sleep. Uh, he had never run abroad before, and, and he was basically in a strange country, which he didn't speak the language. He was overheated. He was, you know, I mean, he was out of it completely. He was physically just, just you know, completely out of it. And he wrote in a journal uh the next day apparently it says it's the morning after my defeat my heart is aching with regret for the rest of my life it was the most significant day of my life but failure teaches success i can only wait for the day with fair weather after the rain and so basically he just made his way home after that you know uh however uh now uh, he never notified the olympic or the swedish officials of his whereabouts he didn't tell anybody <laughs> He's just like, well, I lost. Screw it. I'm going home. And so he went home. Um, uh, and, and over the years, urban legends in Sweden grew over. Like the mystery of this vanishing, you know, just grew uh, and, and everything. And uh, uh, years later, um, uh, I, I don't know exactly when it was. Uh, uh, da, 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 where is it here? Uh, da, da, da. He, uh, he actually went back to the Olympics uh, in like 1924, failed to finish there as well. Um, but in 1967, I guess when all this story finally comes out and everything, everybody puts the pieces together, Swedish officials arranged for Conakuri to return to Stockholm, where he was reunited with the Petra family and invited to finish the marathon. They held a ceremony, which covered hev- which was covered heavily in Swedish media. 1969, he finally crossed the finish line. His official time announced as 54 years, 8 months, 6 days, 5 hours, 32 minutes, 20 
2.3 seconds. Now, Scott, I don't say this lightly because I don't run, but I think I think I could beat that. <laughs> you think you could do a marathon? I in think I could. Four years. Think I could do it in 52 years. Oh, <laughs> uh, he passed. If the Petra family is there to feed me uh, <laughs> Swedish sweets and sugary drinks along the way. Because if you're going to pass out in any foreign country, Sweden's a pretty good one to do it in. Sweden is a good one to do it. I, I give you that. Yeah, they, yeah. Yeah, he passed away ultimately in 1983 at the age of 92. But, yeah. Alrighty. <laughs> so, the moral of that story is never feel bad about your 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 late time in a marathon. Because as long as you came in under 50, 40 years, you're <laughs> not the slowest. You are not the slowest. This guy decided to just stop, take a break, finish his life, and then come back. <laughs> yep. All right. We now return you to our marathon already in progress. <laughs> already over with in the books. Done. <laughs> but sure. Why not? Yeah. We're Sweden. We're that nice. We'll open it back up for you. Uh, well, thank you, Scott, um, for learning us something and making us all feel better <laughs> about our marathon times. That's right. Um, so our actual topic today, this is sort of a state of the franchise episode. And I say that because there's some debate. Uh, this is a hotly controversial topic uh, amongst me and Scott. Is <laughs> is Dracula a franchise? We'll get into that. But uh, so this, the, if you've never listened to one of our other franchises before, here's roughly how it works: we discuss the films in that franchise we've gotten up to this point. This week, that'll be a very abridged version. Uh, then we talk about uh, what projects we know are coming down the pipeline, and then we we wax philosophic about what do we as fans want to see from the franchise. I'm sure we'll take most of those at some point, uh, but we're going to start with where the whole thing starts. Uh, Dracula. What, what, oh, good. Sorry. What do you what do you what do you mean abridged? I, I thought we, we would stay to the franchise. We cover we cover every. Everything that we've gotten to date that has Dracula as a character in it. I've watched okay, everything. That, I have not slept in nine days. That's a lie. Because uh, <laughs> um, it would take you a lot more than nine days to watch them all. So I know it's a lie. Had multiple TVs going. <laughs> Dracula, the novel by Bram Stoker, was written in 1890, well, published in 1897. Uh, it took him a little while to write it before then. We are not going to cover every version of Dracula from 1897 to now, because that's over 100 years to cover, and we're not going to do that. Because uh, we're also only basically covering film adaptations, uh, which also help narrow things down, but not quite as much as you'd think. Um, which which brings me to my nerd fact of the day. So as I was getting ready for this, when I, when I was coming to the, okay, we got to do the what we've gotten segment, um, there are two, well, mostly one I know we're going to talk about, because it's the movie that sort of sparked this whole uh, topic, which is Last Voyage of the Demeter, which we'll get to in a minute. But before we get to that, uh, I was like, okay, so I've got to do a truncated, abridged version of Dracula films, and I, I want to keep this as short and sweet as possible. So I narrowed it down to four movies that I think are representative of the evolution of Dracula in film over time. And I started with what I thought was the first film adaptation of Dracula, which is 1922's Nosferatu. That is not the first film adaptation of Dracula. Oh, I thought it was the first one, too. So did I. Uh, Internet will learn you stuff. This came across my feed today. 
Um, there you go. A couple, it was a couple days ago. So Nosferatu was beaten to the punch in 1921 by a Austrian or Hungarian. I had differing accounts. Uh, an Austro-Hungarian adaptation called, and I'm going to use the English pronunciation because I can't pronounce it in its native language, The Death of Dracula, which was, again, 1921, a silent black and white film that apparently had little to do at all with the plot of Dracula. They kind of wrote their own plot uh, about a woman in an insane asylum who meets a man who claims to be Count Dracula. Uh, honestly, it kind of sounds like a, a, a movie you'd see nowadays. Um, you know, like an A24 kind of like think piece, low budget indie movie. Um, but that was the first screen. Uh, it, it is now a lost film. Uh, there are no copies of this known to exist today. The only images we have are the cover, which was an art piece. And there's a handful, I think six total still frames that were used as promotional uh, items for the movie. Those still exist, but the film itself is lost to history. Uh, one of those infamous things that just never survived. It's it's contemporary um, technology, so you cannot watch this movie anywhere. It does not exist. There's again, there's a handful of stills uh, and the the cover art, or I guess promotional art, uh, but that's it. We should totally remake this. We, we have the budget. We've got the plot. We can get the technology. Love it. So, that being said, we'll start with the earliest known surviving de uh, depiction of Count Dracula, which is 1922's Nosferatu. Pages. Starring Max Shrek. There we go. Directed by F.W. Murnau. Murnau. Starring, yes, Max Shrek, who, yes, the Batman Returns character is an homage to this guy, <laughs> as Count Orlock. Wait, 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 wait. That's that's the wrong name. Yeah, yeah, I know. Three for a loop there. So, Dracula. Not only is this the first known filmed version of Dracula, it is also quite possibly the first case of film copyright infringement. Um. <laughs> uh, Depending on which account you want to believe, the producers either thought they had the rights or never bothered to go get the rights because they thought this would be released pretty much only in their native German. Um, and no one outside of Germany would see it, so they never bothered to get them. Again, there, there's there's depicting accounts. But they failed to secure proper copyright from the Stoker estate when this film was made. It was made, shot, released. The, the, the reason that the character names are changed uh, it's a common misconception. It was that they changed the character names to avoid copyright. Again, they they thought either thought they had copyright and were safe, or thought, well, no one's ever going to see it. Don't worry about it. But the reason the character names were changed was because, again, they initially thought this would only be released in their native country, and they wanted it to appeal to Germans, so they changed all the names to be more German-sounding names. Um, so Count Dracula becomes Count Orlock. Uh, played by Max Shrek. Um, like I said, this was the uh, an unofficial and illegal adaptation. The story is pretty much the same. Uh, now it's an adaptation, so things get kind of cut out and dropped to the wayside and streamlined a bit, but essentially it's the story you know from Dracula. Uh, the character names have been changed. Um, protect the innocent. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. 
Um, this movie has been in the public domain since 2019. However, uh, because it's a silent film, anyone who kind of does any kind of restoration and then adds their own music to it can then claim copyright on that specific version of the film. Yeah. Um, so while the film itself, you can go watch anywhere because it isn't copyrighted. Certain, uh, not adaptations, but certain um, releases are copyrighted because of the music attached to it and things like that. Um, but this was made in that uh, era of, this is one of the, the two classic examples of German expressionism on film. This movie and Cabinet of Dr. Caligari are the two most widely sourced in, uh, uh, examples of the German expressionist movement. Um, which I'm no art expert, but basically means um, surrealist and the the environment the sort of a reflection of the emotional state and inner turmoil mentally of the characters seen on screen. Um, think early Tim Burton, and that's German expressionism. Well, I mean, I I, I just recently read uh, so in 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 uh, somewhat you know in preparation for for talking about this. Uh, I, uh, I did, um, I watched, um, the first, like, third of, uh, uh, <laughs> was it uh, Nosferatu the Vampire from 1979, which... The remake, yes. The remake, which Joe Bob covers. And... He did cover this one, too, but it's not on Shutter anymore. Ah, okay. For some, uh, but he did both movies in one night. It was Nosferatu. Uh, nice. Get it? Get it? Ah, okay. Uh, jokes. I, I see. Um, but no, I, 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 like I said, I, I got through about the first third of this, uh, and I want to go back and finish finish the 1979 version. But the reason I bring this up is because uh, Joe Bob's opening um, diatribe intro, yeah, whatever you yes. call it, yeah. Uh, is it, kind of pretty much a, a an overview of German cinema. You know, from the Nosferatu, you know, 1922 era through World War II and how World War II pretty much, and, you know, the, the whole Nazi party pretty much destroyed German cinema uh, and everything. It, it really is. It's, it's, it's interesting to see if that had never happened, like if that had not been a side effect, like where German cinema would have gone from from here to, you know, 1980, ostensibly. Well, it was really interesting because not just in Germany, but any filmmaker in Europe got the fuck out of Europe. Yeah. Uh, There's a huge influx of of European filmmakers that flooded Hollywood in that era. Yeah. Including Hitchcock, so, you know. Uh, But, uh, yeah. If you've never seen the film, track down a copy. Like I said, it's in public domain. I I guarantee you there's a version for free right now on YouTube. you can put it on mute and play your own music to it. It's fine. Cause what's really important is the visuals. Um, it introduced a certain style to the character of Dracula or in this case, Orlock. Um, that's more monstrous than the depictions we'd see going forward, less romantic, more monstrous, which is depending on some people's opinions, more in line with what the original Dracula character was supposed to be. Um, it also adds one very important element to the mythos, not only of Dracula, but of vampires in general in the media. And that is that sunlight can kill a vampire. This is the first time that was ever done. 
um, that's not in the Dracula novel, which we'll get to later, I'm sure. But uh, if nothing else, the lasting legacy of this is that it introduces the concept that sunlight will kill, not just weaken, kill a vampire. Um, this is something else I find interesting is looking through the the uh, versions of Dracula I want to talk about today. Is it, It's kind of like uh, like Superman over the decades where bits and pieces of the Superman mythos got added as the character went on. Like originally he didn't fly, he leapt. He leapt. In the the cartoons, we switched to flying, and kryptonite wasn't a thing until the radio show. Like you know, little elements that we know of now got added over time. Yeah, Dracula's kind of like that. Yeah, different different writers and people who were interpreting it would would add different almost just as story elements. Like you know, like hey, I want to get past this, or I want to, I see this as a problem, you know, because you know it's just like you know. But with the whole vampire sunlight thing, it's like, oh, wait, he's immortal. He can't die. He's like, you know, he's got all these powers and stuff. Why doesn't he just kill everybody? He's like, what's... look, we got to kill him and we got no budget. So how can we do this? <laughs> that we spent all the budget on painting all these stupid sets that are super elaborate. And the director had a vision. And now we're not sure to end the movie. So, hey, what if? Uh, but no, seriously, it's it's a it's a great movie. Um, again, if nothing else, the, the visuals are what important, and you'll see right away. Again, it's an old movie, 1922. It's it's over 100 years old. Yeah. Uh, you'll see right away the visual influence it's had on people like Tim Burton and lots of others in the filmmaking industry since then. Um, but uh, also, if you enjoy the film, side note, a uh, movie we will not have time to talk about today, but I want to mention anyway because it's really interesting and kind of Dracula adjacent. If you enjoy this film and the 79 remake, track down a movie called Shadow of the Vampire from 2000. It's a fictionalized dramatization of the making of Nosferatu featuring Willem Dafoe as Max Schreck. I wasn't aware of that. Great movie. Again, Dracula adjacent. It's about the making of a Dracula movie. Uh, <laughs> it plays fast and loose because there's also there's an urban legend for years that uh, that Max Shrek was a real vampire. Um, which, yeah, yeah. Well, the movie, the uh, Shadow of the Vampire, kind of plays with that a little bit. It's fun. Uh, so if you enjoy Nosferatu and any of his versions, go track down that movie. Um, but that's the first film depiction of Dracula that survives that you can still go and see today. Um, yeah, the, the the I remember the first time I saw this movie, and, and I forget how I found out about it, but I was looking. Uh, I was looking for a copy of it, and and this was this was back in the uh, early nineties uh, and such. And there was a there was a local movie bookstore music store, I guess, around my hometown called On Cue. Uh, it wasn't locally owned. I think it was a it was a chain, but it was you know. A, more in this region, but um, uh, they could order a VHS copy of this movie, so I had them order a VHS copy for me uh, and everything, and they they looked at me like I was a little weird, you know. And uh, yeah, so I was watching it. And I remember my parents came in. Like, what are you watching? Silent film from 1922. So yeah, we've all had those moments, Scott. Mom, what are you it. watching? What are you watching? Yeah, and, uh, I enjoyed it. I thought it was, 
Uh, I knew the image of Count Orlock long before I knew it had anything to do with this movie or that this movie existed. Because yeah. I remember, remember reading monster magazines and stuff back in like elementary school, and that image you saw a lot. Um, the the one right after he 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 like he like stands he he gets up out of the coffin you, you know and he he like pivots up on his feet. This was specifically him standing on the deck of the boat. And then there's also the famous one of him, the shadow of him creeping up the stairs with the elongated fingers. Like those two images I saw long before I knew what they were from or that this movie exists. I didn't see the movie until college. Um, In one of my film classes, we, for a brief period, studied German expressionism. So, of course, this and Cabin and Dr. Caligari came up. So that's when I watched both of those films. Um, But, yeah, so I I was familiar with the image long before I knew what it was from. Uh, It was interesting to see. But uh, from that, we're going to take a, a quick jump. Unless there's anything else you want to say about Nosferatu, uh, not not offhand. Um, just yeah, it's it's uh, uh, it's also not for everybody. I mean, you know, yeah. once again, it is a silent film, so it's 101 years old. Yeah, yeah exactly. But uh, if if you're if you're into the visuals, uh, you know, and 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 you can follow a story just just from from images and no dialogue or anything, then uh, as any movie should be able to. <laughs> I forget who it was. Some some filmmaker at some point uh, had a whole thing of, well, you should be able to put your movie on mute and still be able to follow the storyline or know what's going on because film is a visual medium. And if your story can't work without dialogue, you've screwed up. I can't I t- remember who said that. Uh, I'm massively paraphrasing, by the way, but that's something that's always stuck with me is like, could I follow this movie if there was no dialogue? I tell you a, a good movie, just a little bit of a tangent here, uh, but uh, uh, sorry, uh, a good movie that, um, excuse me, um, actually illustrates that point. And if you haven't seen it, you really should have, because I, I think given that point, you would you would you would like it um, is um, the Admiral. And yeah, it's uh, it, it, it's about a Dutch admiral. Uh, from the Netherlands during the Napoleonic era, who basically defended the Netherlands against like the British, the French, and the Spanish, like over the course of his career, like with 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 limited numbers, like he was outnumbered in every engagement, yet he successfully repelled. And in that movie, everybody speaks the language they're supposed to speak with no subtitles. And you can 100% follow that movie. You watch it, you know what's going on. Okay. No, the example I always use is uh, Mad Max Fury Road. Okay. There's already very little dialogue to begin with. Yeah, it's basically just a big car chase. Yeah, but you can mute that movie and follow the exact plot right along, no problem. Because it's all visual. Those are the good guys. That's the bad guys. They're trying to escape. He's trying to get them. It's perfect. Anyway, moving along. Uh, We are now going to move to 1931, which brought us Dracula with sound. Uh, uh, (laughs) I'm, of course, talking about the infamous, the immortal, the will never die, the undead. Uh, Dracula. From Universal Pictures in 1931, directed by Todd Browning, starring Bela Lugosi as Count Dracula, reprising his role from the stage. 
Uh, it is the default depiction of Dracula. You look up Dracula in the dictionary, Bela Lugosi's picture is going to be there. Um, there's a lot I can say about this movie, but I kind of feel like that speaks that's it's from 1931 and it's still the default setting. What's up? As, mu- as much as I hate to say it, I have never actually watched this movie all the way through. I've never seen it. I mean, I've said, seen the bits, I've seen the scenes, you know, you've seen, you know, and, and everything. I'm ashamed to say that and I'm sorry. I just, yeah, I know you're out. I get it. You're just done with me. You're just going to watch it. And <laughs> I failed you utterly. And stuff. Um, it's okay, Scott. We're gonna have a big Universal Monsters marathon later at some point. We'll catch up on all of them. Um, so no, this this movie, yeah, like I said, it, it's the default setting for Dracula, um, and deservedly so. Um, this was a huge hit for Universal when it came out. Uh, it ushered in the golden age of horror movies in the 30s. Um, interesting facts about this. So, like I said, um, Bill Lugosi got the role. Because A, they were kind of low on budget, couldn't afford anybody else, and they couldn't find anybody else. And Bela worked for cheap. I think he got paid less than any other actor to play this role, uh, which would become the role that would define him uh, as an actor. Interesting uh, uh, footnote, if you've ever watched the film and then read the novel, they're very different. And that's because this is not an adaptation of Bram Stoker's novel. This is an adaptation of a stage play of Dracula. So you're watching an adaptation of an adaptation. Yeah. So things are streamlined. Characters are moved around or cut all together. Poor Quincy seems to never make it into a movie. Um, Edward Van Sloan also reprises his role from the stage to play Van Helsing. Uh, I love his Van Helsing. Those weird glasses and the crew cut haircut. Is his, he's this weird, like, old G.I. Joe kind of person. Um, again, ushered in the golden age of horror from Universal. Uh, Frankenstein came out later the same year. Uh, then The Mummy in 1932. Invisible Man in 1933. The Bride of Frankenstein in 1935. Wolfman in 1941. Uh, that age didn't end until 55, 56 with the third Creature from the Black Lagoon movie. So... Um, pretty good track record. There were okay, strap in for this one. <clears throat> Uh-oh. Here we go. The official direct sequels to this film include Dracula's Daughter from 1936, The Son of Dracula from 1943, The House of Frankenstein from 1944, The House of Dracula from 1945, and Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein, <laughs> uh, which I didn't write down a year for. I think it was 46. Uh, those are just direct sequels to this Dracula, not to mention all the myriad of other Draculas that came out at this time and the unofficial sequels uh, and movies where Bela Lugosi would star as a vampire but not Dracula, but clearly we're selling you, hey, it's Bela Lugosi. He's not Dracula, but he's yeah. a vampire. It's Bela Lugosi. It's Bela Lugosi in the tuxedo and the cloak and the in the 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 widow's peak and the, yeah. the brooch and the widow's <laughs> peak and, uh, and, and everything else you know and, and also hey this is exactly the aesthetic that we we were going for with um, uh, Eddie Munster so you know uh, and also uh, Grandpa uh, yeah. no, 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 it's, no, no, no Eddie's the bad werewolf sorry yeah. Eddie's a werewolf. I'm the sure. hair is is his hair. Got was, that. Yeah, yeah. That. yeah. 
It's a look. It's an old movie, it, and I won't lie. It is a tough watch. Um, it's of an era when the entire film was not orchestrated, so there are large chunks where there's no music at all because the selling point was sound. You can hear the actors, and we don't right. want to distract from you hearing the actors. Um, it's also movies have music. Yeah, since when? At least 1931, bro. Oh, no one told me. I've never heard that. Okay. Either. Okay. Right. Yeah. John Williams. Ever heard of him? John Williams. Okay. <laughs> John Williams. Danny Elfman. No. Nothing. Not ringing the bell. Okay. No. Hans Zimmer. No. All right. Is he uh, going to pump you up? No, it's Hans and Franz. Hans and Franz. Sorry. Uh, so yeah, it, it, it's. You've got to be invested in it uh, because it, as far as pacing and camera movement, there's some there's some very creative for its time camera movement, uh, but by modern standards, it's a slow kind of boring movie. It's also again, it's based on the stage play, and I feel like a lot of scenes they're still using the stage blocking because actors have their back to the camera, um, which even for stage is bad blocking, but uh, but. For nothing else than be able to go see his iconic performance, you've got to watch it. That being said, you've got options because there are at least four versions of this movie in existence. There is the classic version uh, from 1931 with sound with Bela Lugosi, uh, with uh, basically nowadays we'd call it a temp track, but they just flat out stole music from Swan Lake, like you heard at the beginning of this show, uh, rather than writing their own music. Then Fun fact for you. Uh, they had such faith in this movie that they knew they wanted to release it in foreign markets. Dubbing at the time was a very expensive, time-consuming sort of new process because, again, sound itself was still kind of new. So rather than trying to dub over the actors, what they did, there was an entire second production, second director, second cast, second crew, Dracula, Todd Brownings with Bela Lugosi would shoot during the daytime, then they would leave and then this entire other crew and cast would come in at night using the same sets and the same camera equipment and shoot the Spanish language version of Dracula that version is included on most Blu-ray releases of this movie um, it's subtitled in English for us, for us non-Spanish speaking uh, uh, people um other than using the same script and the same sets, they are very different movies. Uh, allegedly, they would come in and watch what the American or what the English cast was doing uh, and, and the camera movements and stuff, and then trying to think of ways to one up it uh, when they got to their turn to doing scenes. <laughs> yeah, so the camera movement, <laughs> the camera movement's a lot more elaborate. Uh, some things are a lot more sort of uh, um, there's a lot more movement within the frame and stuff like that. So a lot of people consider it to be a superior film. Uh, then there's also, because, again, sound was new, there is a silent version of this film with interspersed title cards to fill in important dialogue. Otherwise, you're just watching a lot of actors mouthing their words where you don't hear it. And the occasional title card will pop up. But yes, there was an edit, so it could be released into theaters that were not equipped for sound. There is a silent version of this movie. But what you're what you're really telling me is that the 1931 Dracula with with Bela Lugosi is just a dress rehearsal for the Spanish version. It's Some just, would say that's, yes. 
just an elaborate dress rehearsal. That's all. Some would say yes. Uh, and in fact, yeah, a lot of people kind of bemoan, like, wow, how great it would have been for Bela Lugosi to work with this other cast and this other director with all these improvements and embellishments. Uh, and then not to be undone, there is yet a fourth version of this film. Like I said, it didn't have its own score. That is stole music from Swan Lake. In 1999, a composer whose name I didn't write down because I suck at my job uh, yeah. actually wrote a composition and scored the movie like it was a modern film. So there's a... a Original sound version, a silent version of that, the new orchestrated 1999 version, and then there's the completely different Spanish language version of this one movie. Um, I think three of those versions are on the Blu-ray I have. I don't think the silent version's on there, but that's fine because I wouldn't watch it anyway. The film itself is silent enough as it is. Um, but yeah, Dracula in sound, again, it became the default version of Dracula to this day um that the cape the cane the medallion the widow's peak the blah, yeah. blah. good evening the, that, that whole accent his literal accent became synonymous with dracula um so you, if you if you call yourself a dracula fan you've got to see this movie uh because it is it's it's really where it all kind of kicked off so well, I will definitely have to see this. Um, if only I knew somebody that had a copy, I could borrow it. You know? See, the problem is my copy is in a box of all of the others. So, yeah. all the other Universal movies. So. That's all right. You'll just have to watch all of them. Oh, no. <laughs> Moving right along. Uh, the next big evolution in Dracula on film came in 1958 with Dracula. Or, as it's called in the United States, Horror of Dracula. Um, they changed the title in the U.S. because even in 1958, the 1931 Bela Lugosi movie was still being re-released in theaters. And wow. they did not want people to confuse it. Yes, 1931 and 1958, they were still putting it in theaters. Uh, but this movie, House of Dracula... Brings Dracula to you in sparkling technicolor with Christopher Lee as Dracula and Peter Cushing as Van Helsing. Next to uh, Bela Lugosi, probably the most iconic screen Dracula. Um, I believe I watched this one. I think I watched this one when it was on. Was was this one of the ones that was on uh, HBO Max for a while? Until uh, this year, apparently. Yeah, because there was there was a few that I watched last year, I think. And uh, and 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 this this whole movie, I don't I don't know. Um, I think I liked. Uh, 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 <laughs> yeah, that plays Helsing. Uh, Peter Cushing. Yeah, Peter Cushing. Thank you. Grand Moff Tarkin. I, I liked Peter Cushing in this, but it's Peter Cushing. I mean, you know, he does does everything. I, I don't really think I cared for Christopher Lee in this movie. Wow. Uh, I mean, it was okay, but I, I don't know. I, I I feel like okay. So going back to Count Orlock, right? Okay. Clearly, he's got a very monstrous visage, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. everything. But there are scenes in in 
in Nosferatu, where you see Count Orlock, and he, he does seem somewhat human. Like, there's he's just kind of a, a person there. Uh, and then you get, you know, Bela uh, uh, Lugosi and everything. And yes, he's playing... He's playing the 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 over the top, but I still don't feel he's playing a full monster. Like he's he's playing the count, you know, like a, a person of aristocracy. He's got mm-hmm. that air about him that is the chest is poofed out and everything. Christopher Lee in this movie, I just I just got that he's just playing a monster. Like he's just like there's no humanity in him, but not in a good way. Like it's it it felt almost one dimensional to me. It does sort of blend those two together and in, in how much they succeed in that. Your mileage might vary. Uh, this does introduce some important stuff to the director of the lore. We get uh, the red contact lenses, which will become not not everybody used it, but will become very commonplace. Um, the fangs uh, came from this movie, and this is the, the, the first time we really saw, especially in Technicolor, blood. Well, yeah, you got to uh, get the red. The red is yeah, the yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but yeah, you do definitely get much. He's he's dressed in a similar fashion to Bela Lugosi, uh, with, with the the cloak and the cape and whatnot. But his his actual performance is much more monstrous, much less suave. Uh, yeah. He's not here to seduce you. He's just here to suck your blood. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just I I didn't care for his portrayal of Dracula uh, in this one. It just it felt like I said like one dimensional, just like. Like, I'm here to be a monster. I'm just here to, ah, there's no character here. I'm just, you know, I'm just, I don't know. Well, it is a slightly more accurate adaptation of the novel. Uh, They did attempt to just adapt the novel into a screenplay. However, it's a screenplay. So, once again, Quincy, right out. Uh, Renfield, out too, which is weird because he survives most cuts. Uh, Arthur is uh, uh, together with Mina. And Jonathan and Lucy are together, so some weird couplings going on. Yeah. Uh, but for the most part, it follows the story from the novel fairly accurately. Um, not to be outdone by the 31 version, this spawned eight direct sequels, six of which feature Lee as Dracula, and four of which feature Cushing back as Van Helsing. And man, do these titles get fun. You ready? Here we go. <laughs> Okay, 1960, The Brides of Dracula. 1966, Dracula, Prince of Darkness. Good title. 1968, Dracula Has Risen from the Grave. A little long in the tooth, but I like it. Uh, 1970, Taste the Blood of Dracula. That's a good, it's a great 70s title. Uh, 1970 also, The Scars of Dracula. Uh, 1972, we get Dracula AD 1972. That's not a typo. That's the actual title of the movie. It's wow. Dracula in 1972. Okay. Yep, it's right there in the title. Uh, then 1973, you get the much better title, Satanic Rites of Dracula. And we close it out in 1974 with, I swear, I thought this was a kung fu movie at first, Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires. Good star, Eddie Murphy. I feel like it should have. <laughs> I feel like it should have been 1984 and it had Eddie Murphy and like Jackie Chan was in there somewhere and there's some kind of kung fu thing. There's a golden monkey. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I, 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 I want the blood. <laughs> Please. 
much like the Universal movie, this one kind of helped kick off the whole Hammer horror resurgence in the late 50s, early 60s. Uh, the Hayes Code was long gone. We could show blood on cinema. We could show boobies in cinema. Uh, they, they were they were horror or hammer horror films really kind of got their bread and butter by updating all these classic gothic horror movies that audiences were familiar with because they were still putting the same ones from the 30s and 40s out in the theaters but hey here's a newer version of it uh hammer made uh this they made a shit ton of frankenstein movies so werewolf movies not wolfman but werewolf um i think they had a, a, a hunchback and lynchard down in there somewhere too so that was kind of their bread and butter it was modern uh modern made at the time gothic retellings uh of which this was huge and and yeah peter cushing and christopher lee uh will later go on to both play roles in the star wars saga which is also unfortunately they never got to be on screen together as count dooku and grandma off targeting because man that would be cool um or it would have been cool uh but <coughs> christopher lee great actor maybe not his best role and i have not seen all of his seven dracula movies that he played dracula in so maybe he got better or change things up over time i've only seen this first one i have not seen all the ones i just named although i would kill to see some of the dracula has risen from the grave taste the blood of dracula great titles bring back these kind of titles i just want to see dracula ad 1972 here uh i'm looking at screen that's the one that jumped out at you huh yeah i'm, I'm looking at screen grabs from it and, and everything and uh, i guess they got the right actor to play dracula because apparently christopher lee just stopped aging uh, at one point, you know, uh, until he hit like, you know, the year 2000, then it's like, you know, the painting of Dorian Gray. Yeah. Kind of Someone but, found his painting is what happened. Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, uh, but, uh, but yeah, he pretty much looks the same in all these movies. Like nothing changes with him. Also, here's something that's really fun. If you just look at images of these Dracula movies, like just look at still images from Dracula movies, mm -hmm. like, like where the some of these stills are just comical, you know, like the the, the one of the stills from the Bela Lugosi one is is von Helsing, and I don't know if they're like screen grabs or if they're some of them are probably promotional stills, you know, where they just set them up and pose mm -hmm. them. Everything, but, but uh, like Von Helsing is holding a cross up, and and Bella Lugosi is supposed to be cowering from it, but like his expression on his face is like that's really confusing. I don't know what you're like. It's, it's one of confusion, and like on this one here, Dracula AD seventy two. There's a there's a scene of a of a of a woman in white sitting up on a table. And she's in this silky white dress, and she's thrusting her bosom forward. And Christopher Lee's got his hand out and his face turned away, like, "No, no, none of that, please." <laughs> I'm just loving these stills. Dracula's real weakness: <laughs> bosoms. <laughs> no, please, none of that. I will have none of that. <laughs> Take them away. <laughs> they do not please me. Uh. I'm not, all right. We need to do a marathon of, of all of Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing's Dracula films. If I could track down a box set, I would buy it in a heartbeat. Um, I've got the first one bookmarked. and they can go pick it up. But yeah, that would be fun. Uh, we'll put that on the rotation. Um, so moving right along, uh, I'm going to jump a lot. Um, we're going to jump right to 1992. 
where we get Dracula reinterpreted because we can't ever let a bad guy just be a bad guy. We have to make him sympathetic. And really, Dracula is just a lover scorned. That's all he really is. He's just misunderstood. Uh, So Dracula as a love story. I'm talking about the film titled Bram Stoker's Dracula from 1992, directed by Francis Ford Coppola, starring a stacked cast. Gary Oldman as Dracula, Anthony Hopkins as Van Helsing, Keanu Reeves as Jonathan Harker, Winona Ryder as Mina, Carrie Elways, the Dread Pirate Roberts himself, as Arthur Homewood, sorry, Richard E. Grant as Dr. Seward, Billy Campbell, the fucking Rocketeer, as Quincy, who finally gets to show up in a movie. Hey, hey, four movies, one Quincy. Uh, Sadie Frost as Lucy, Tom frickin' Waits as Renfield, and a young Monica Bellucci as uh, one of Dracula's brides. Yep. yep. Best known, best known, uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula as uh, uh, Keanu Reeves' breakout role. No? His breakout role for the Razzies? What's, what's what's the silent? What's the silent? What was the, what was the silence for? That was. Uh, you don't think Keanu Reeves wasn't anything prior to nineteen ninety two? Well, he nothing was. that put him on the map. Nothing. Rifles of the films, you know. Oh, okay. 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 Movie. Yeah. Uh, honestly, this movie did more to hurt his career. Uh, yeah. Despite. Good. I, I don't know. I I don't think his performance is as bad as everybody no. says it is. I mean, you know. It seems a little stiff in places, but I mean, if you look at the if you look at the man's uh, uh, cinematography, he did like what five roles that year or some shit. He did he did like a crap ton of productions right right here in the same time period. Well, also the character he's playing is supposed to be a stiff one British yes. guy. Yes, he's very very he's proper. Very playing, yeah. yeah. Exactly. His accent is iffy. According to Francis Ford Coppola, he worked harder than anyone else on trying to nail the accent. It just didn't work. Um, The original choice apparently was uh, Christian Slater who turned him down, which would have been interesting. Uh, Yeah. Uh, But just having images of just classic Christian Slater, you know, and and, and, excuse me, uh, does Dracula live here? And it's my Christian Slater. Sorry. Yeah. So well, it's fine. You, you just do a, It's like it's ninety percent uh, uh, Jack Nicholson. <laughs> um, no, a, an amazing cast. Uh, even Keanu Reeves. I, I again, I think he plays the part beautifully. It's just it's a it's a stiff kind of boring part. Um, he plays stiff and boring. Um, this was an attempt, another attempt, to directly adapt the novel. Um, however couldn't help themselves they also took an opportunity to try to fold in the the historical vlad tepes or vlad uh dracul or vlad dracula or vlad the impaler whatever name you want to call him as uh, who was their real historical uh person um that that bram stoker sort of basically flat out stole to to give his character a little more gravitas they attempted to fold in the history of of that real person into dracula it is to my knowledge the first time we try to give dracula an origin story of how did he become a a a vampire which is interesting um and one last footnote i love this movie i can talk about it all day uh but it uses a lot of old school in camera 
visual effects and tricks, uh, things that were contemporary when the novel, like in early film stuff, lots of irises closing to be transitions, which is something you don't see in 1992, let alone today, but they threw in a lot of old school camera techniques. So I really enjoyed that to some people. It's weird. Um, Scott, thoughts on this one? Well, I mean, didn't didn't uh, Francis Ford Coppola like his his first effects supervisor was like balking against what he wanted to do because it was against modern film taking filmmaking techniques and he fired him and like brought in his what brother or something to help son him? his son that's what it was it was son it was family member to help him do his thing because you know no one no one gives you know creative pushback like your offspring um, but. Uh, uh, no, I love this movie. This 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 is a great movie. It, it's fun to watch, uh, partly because, well, I I just I mean I'll, I'll watch it just for Gary Oldman alone. Um, but uh, which Gary now, Oldman in this movie? Once again, yeah. As soon as I said it, I should have <laughs> led with the joke. I should have. The, the, <laughs> that, that joke was much better. I should have been Gary Oldman this movie. Where was he in this movie? I, didn't I just that. want you to know, any movie we ever watch with Gary Oldman, <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to lean over and say. Hey, that's Gary Oldman. Oh, yeah, I know. Um, but uh, I love Anthony Hopkins as Van Helsing. Oh, Anthony Hopkins is is great. Uh, it, it weirded me out when I as I saw I first saw this movie in high school, and it was it's this is a very weird movie, intentionally so. Francis Ford Coppola would tell you the, the aesthetic of this movie was weird. Um, intentionally, like the, the 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 costuming, the set design, the visual effects. It was they were they were trying very hard to not do the traditional stereotypical Dracula stuff. Yeah. Um. So anything that looked weird or different or odd, go with that. Um. It took me a few viewings to really appreciate this, especially Van Helsing's performance in a movie that's already very over the top. At points, is incredibly over the top. Uh, however, I've in 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 over multiple viewings, I've come to fall in love with that performance and that weird accent he gives him. Uh, just the weird little asides to himself when he's reading from a book and ah, ah, like like he's just taking a moment for himself, like as he's reading the lore of of vampires and and uh, it, he's he's so goofy. He gets so drunk and excited and, and grabs people, lifts them up, and hugs them, and it's like it's so weird and so. Every other Van Helsing, he's cool and calm and collected, and he like he knows everything. He's he's the the wizened old expert about everything. And then this version is is gets giddy like a schoolboy, and then becomes super angry. And then he's he's a man of action in some scenes, and it it's it's all over the map. But it's so fun to watch because Anthony Hopkins is just like you literally never know what this guy is gonna do. Well, I uh, I just I always I always loved it with. So with Gary Oldman's performance, you know, we we get a very wide range of performance from Gary Oldman, you know, going from the 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 older, you know, uh, uh, broken down Dracula haven't fed in a while to the I'm flesh, you know, fresh with blood, flush with blood is what I think. Um, you know, the younger suave debonair, he, he his 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 range of performance in this character. Uh, is is wonderful. It's, it's the first time, in, in my opinion, in in the cinema that Dracula has been treated as a full character and not just a 
kind of a thing, just an antagonist. I mean, we get a little bit of it. We get hints of it, of the character, like I said earlier, with, with, with Mela Lugosi in, in Max Shrek. There's some looks that he gives. But this is the first time he, he's actually treated as a full three-dimensional character, and, and he has an arc and, and, and everything. Um, also, you know, visually... And, and as wide of a range of performance you get from Gary Oldman, uh, that is the same width of range you get visually from this movie. I mean, it goes gothic, like straight. It goes Victorian to gothic to benign to full horror and blood and gore, and it just keeps it just keeps those peaks and valleys. Of there are entire sections shot on vintage hand cranked cameras. Because uh, it looked weird. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. Uh, well, and 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 also some of the like one thing that always stands out with me is some of the transition shots and the flashback shots. Like the transition shot of the train, you know, when when Harker is is, is coming to the castle at the beginning. And the 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 fight scenes that we get um with uh uh, when we're giving the history of uh, Dracula, where oh, yeah. his backstory, the battle scenes, the battle scenes, and everything—it almost feels like we were talking about uh, the the guy today. Uh, Bash did the Ralph Bashy, yeah, Ralph Bashy, yeah. They they almost feel they feel rotoscoped a little bit. You know, they're not. I don't believe, but they, they they're silhouette cutout puppets. Partially because it was an old school technique, partially because they had no budget left. <laughs> well, I think it works. Uh, yeah, yeah. This this movie is all over the map, visually, performance wise. Yeah, and and in my opinion, it's it's it's, it's it, the the best Dracula movie that, that we've ever gotten. It captures the full range of Dracula as the character. And like you said, so we, we get you get Orlok, who was the more the creature, the monster. You get Lugosi, who's the suave, debonair uh, uh, count. And then you get sort of fluctuations in between. This movie captures both of those full bore beautifully. Because there are scenes where, again, when he's the younger... Uh, uh, newly re- uh, rejuvenated Dracula seducing Mina uh, and he's suave and handsome and charming and then you get within that same scene sometimes he becomes a friggin bat creature or uh, uh, composed of a pile of rats or uh, the full on uh, half human half man bat kind of thing you get like full on monster creature makeup uh, they mm-hmm. don't skimp on the gore and the blood uh, when he does horrible things and kills people in horrific ways, you get it. Um, and I think I, I feel like this movie captures both sides of him. Now, first of all, Gary Oldman can play all those aspects of him wonderfully, even when he's in full like Wolfman kind of makeup, because they they tried to capture you know, in the novel. It says Dracula can do all these things, but in most productions, he doesn't do half those things because they cost money. Uh, but in this one, we see him become a bat and not just like poof. And then there's a stage bat. Someone's flapping like this, but like <laughs> the whole man bat thing hanging from the rafters. Uh, he can turn into a wolf. So they get to, like him crawling around, you know, a wolf. And then he turns into like a half man, half wolf thing. And 
There's some stuff I can't talk about on this show. Uh, turns into mist and vapor, and you get that creepy green mist coming in through the windows. Uh, like It shows you the full breadth of the power, the scope that is Dracula. He's not just a guy with a cape going, bleh. You know, uh, they they really do a great job of showing. Yes, he can be tender and and charming, but he can also be. He, there's a reason he's something we fear. He's a full on supernatural monster, and it, it 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 most movies do kind of one or the other. This does both beautifully, uh, and transitions in and out of them very well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Now, if 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 you're in the mood, you want to watch a Dracula movie, and you you really. You really want the classic Dracula? The this is not the movie for you. Do not watch this movie because it's uh, it's not going to give you that. Uh, but you know the, the classic Dracula, the Bela Lugosi. Yeah. Dracula. I still remember. I remember. Oh my God! Sending sending shivers up my spine the first time I saw him uh, lick the razor. Oh God! That scene. It still does every time I see it. Oh cold chills just thinking about it yeah uh as much as bela lugosi sort of set the standard this movie kind of revolutionized it and changed it a bit and after this movie came out for a long time depictions of dracula went right to this version especially the old man dracula with the weird like bump hair yeah yeah um dracula dead and loving it which i'm not gonna get into but that was the only reason that movie exists is because this movie existed and made a shit ton of money and was very popular and it, it breathed new life into dracula again and then it made it rife to be spoofed by mel brooks um because that movie dead and loving it is very much yeah it's a general spoof of dracula stuff in 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 general but specifically it's spoofing this movie uh so that's all i've got for what we've gotten leading us up to the thing that started this whole show off uh very quickly uh this year alone we have gotten not one but two attempts to sort of come at dracula from a new angle uh, the first one we got, I'll I'll do very quickly because I'm the only one who's seen it. Uh, earlier this year, we got Renfield, uh, which was sort of the story of Dracula told from the point of view of the character of Renfield, which on paper is a genius idea. Uh, Renfield is the the um, uh, real estate guy who's sent out to go take care of Dracula's affairs before Jonathan Harker is dispatched. He goes crazy. Uh, or falls under Dracula's spell, or somewhere in between the two, uh, ends up in an asylum. He eats insects to gain power. Uh, he's essentially Dracula's familiar. Um, and this movie really played up that angle, that whole toxic relationship, the I serve this person, but they're immortal, and because I have a monochrome of their power, I'm immortal too, so I've been this person's lackey for centuries, uh, which is an interesting angle to play it. Uh, it features... The best part of this entire movie is Nicolas Cage as Dracula. Early in the film, he's almost defeated by some vampire hunters. So through most of the movie, he is regenerating. So he starts in a very heavy makeup where he's on death's door or undeath's door. And throughout the movie, as he feeds, the, the makeup dwindles down a bit till he goes back to just sort of default Nick Cage. But great physical makeup and amazingly entertaining performance from Nicolas Cage. The rest of the movie is very much, hey, what if Dracula but Deadpool? 
that very we want to be a comic book superhero we kind of thing. So Renfield's gonna help fight criminals because reasons and and lots of irreverent we never take ourselves seriously comedy. Uh, the premise is great. The execution left something to be desired for me. Um, that's my take on Renfield. I I want to see this movie. I I I completely missed it. I forgot it had come out. Uh, for some odd reason, I had it. It, my it, it disappeared out. very quickly from theaters. Yeah, uh, but uh, I wanted to. I wanted to see it just because Nicolas Cage and everything. But I'm watching the trailer here, like in the background and stuff. Yeah, I'm seeing this this scenes where he eats an insect and he powers up and has superpowers now or something. He's like so tears across <clears throat> rooms and things and stuff. In in the novel. Renfield wants to become a vampire. Yes. So his his psychosis is he starts eating insects and things to he thinks gain their power the way Dracula does yeah. from consuming blood. So this this interpretation and I don't again on paper cool idea. As a familiar, he's given a monochrome of Dracula's powers to help him carry out assisting Dracula, but he's limited to small insects. He can't eat a person and gain power. So he has a little like matchbox where he keeps a spider or something inside of it. And it's sort of like Popeye and his spinach. Uh, he, he pops a couple insects and, and gains, again, nowhere near Dracula's level of power, but compared to a mortal, he becomes temporarily kind of power boosted, uh, which is an interesting idea. If you're familiar and your job is to, to serve and then protect Dracula during the daytime when he's vulnerable, makes sense but yes they play it very much superhero-y very much Popeye pop my spinach and beat up the bad guys yeah and apparently there's a musical number granted what I'm watching doesn't have sound I'm gonna, it, it, I don't recall like... a musical number there's lots of choreography though okay alright yeah it's uh... well, I want to see this Again, on paper, interesting. The execution, the tone they went for, I think, are a little off. But uh, if nothing else, Nicolas Cage playing Dracula is worth the price of admission. Um, but Nicholas Holt plays Renfield. Remember that name. We're going to circle back to it later. Uh, but that brings us to, uh, in, in at the time of this recording, just last week, The Last Voyage of the Demeter hit theaters, and Commander Scott and I went to go see it. And this is the, the Dracula on a Boat um, it's taking a single chapter of the novel Dracula, specifically when Count Dracula travels from Transylvania to England by way of a boat called the Demeter, uh, which ends up on shore with everyone dead and the captain lashed to the wheel. And what happens has always been kind of a mystery, never really been fully fleshed out. That's what this movie is here to do is to flesh out the titular last voyage of the Demeter. Scott, what did you think? I thought this was a great first act to a Dracula movie. <laughs> Even though it's like middle of end of act one, middle of act two of the whole story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, okay. So overall, overall, uh, I enjoyed this movie. Visually, this movie is great. You know, this, this, this movie looks beautiful. Uh, course it, it has the caveat that you know if you if you're if you're familiar with anything with the story of dracula the actual book everything you know how it's going to end uh and it 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 
it does it cheats a little bit to 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 shoehorn that in, but it does it does get there in the end with the uh, Mr. Wilson was that, his, was that the character's name Wilson or Watson whatever Watson come here sure. whatever yeah. the hell his name was the fact that he wasn't actually on the crew manifest you know he wasn't he wasn't listed uh, uh, and everything it makes me want to see rest of the Dracula story proper from from this whole thing. Uh, I loved the way Dracula looked, the the whole kind of going back to the Nosferatu thing uh, a little bit. Um, it's uh, but straight up, uh, it is it is an 80s slasher film. Straight up, I mean it's 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 Friday the Thirteenth, it's Nightmare on Elm Street, it's I'll let you make that comparison because that's your wheelhouse. Uh, go ahead. This movie. Is awesome. I'm with Scott. I love this movie. Uh, flaws aside, it's not perfect. But this movie is Alien on a boat. Yeah. Swap out the spaceship for the Demeter. Swap out the Xenomorph for Dracula. You've got Last Voyage of the Demeter. Yeah. And right. I mean that as a compliment. Yeah. And and you've got your main character, which is uh, you know, I'm, I'm spoilers here for anybody's listening. Spoilers. You got your main character, who is the only one alive at the end because he's the final girl. He's Sigourney Weaver. He's uh, well, any final girl in uh, '80s slasher movie. Uh, yeah. It does also have a really great so the, the slasher cliche of taking people out one by one. This movie has a great. Uh, um, plot device for why Dracula is slowly p- picking off the crew one by one. Yeah. First of all, first of all, uh, slight spoilers, Dracula didn't come on the voyage unprepared. He brought a snack. Um, the snack got taken from him. Yeah. They, so they took his lunch. He, <laughs> they took his lunch. Ah, this, he's a sympathetic character. Exactly. They stole his lunch. They stole his lunch. He's just trying to get revenge on the bullies who stole his lunch. Um, sorry. <laughs> uh, so he starts with, with the animals on board and works his way up. And there's a great line that I am surprised wasn't in the trailers. Where someone mentions, you know, that this thing is taking us out one by one. And, and uh, someone else first up and says, no, he's not killing us. He's rationing us. Well, well, yeah. Someone said, "Well, why does he run away?" You know, it's like we've chased him off before, or something like that. And 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 she's like, "No, he wasn't running. He, he's rationing." Yeah, he has. Yeah. We have a, a month long voyage. We have to ration our food. So does he. We just happen to be his food. Um, I'm shocked that wasn't in the trailers because it's a great line. I loved it. Um, that realization of we're food to him. This is it's great, um, but yeah, we definitely lean into more of the. Um, and when I say this, I don't mean like the design, but the fact that Dracula is a monster, um, as he should be, because in this part of the story, that's what Dracula is. He hasn't regained his youth and his handsome appearance yet. He's he's in full on monster mode, taking people out to drink blood and rejuvenate himself. So we get a full-on monster Dracula, very um, human man bat kind of thing. Um, some shades of Count Orlock, but I don't. I wouldn't say it's a full-on ripoff no, of it. It's more no, no, no. human bat kind of thing. Yeah. Well, and, and he evolves a little bit through it because you know he's he, when he when he's the bat, he's got the wings and everything. But there are scenes you see him with he doesn't have the wings like the the underarm wing flaps. Yeah. Early on, he just looks like a tall, gaunt 
gray-skinned person. Yeah. Very counterpark at the beginning. Yes. As as he consumes, he gets more of the cool powers and the cool look. Yeah, he gets more powers uh, and such. And 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 I'm sorry, but he is full on in this one. The way they portrayed the mist and the bat and everything. This is how and I made the comment to you that this, in my opinion, was a better D and D movie than the D and D movie. Uh, yeah, and I'm going to make the same reaction now I made then. Huh? Huh? So yeah, so you're not familiar with you haven't played. There is a uh, there's a campaign setting in D and D Dungeons and Dragons called Ravenloft, which is literally Count Dracula Transylvania D and D. Uh, it, it's a, it's a, it's its own plane of existence. It's got its own mythos uh, and everything. It's the, it's the realm of dread, uh, the land of mists, uh, and dread, everything. not that dread. Oh, the, the emotion dread, not the, oh, not Carl Urban, not, not the, I am, no, no, but, but, uh, Dracula. That's what we need. We we need Sylvester Stallone, <laughs> Dracula. Uh, we need to recast Dracula with with all eighties action heroes now. Uh, maybe I'm a fight Van Helsing. Maybe will you know? Let me say, Adrian. What's that? Sorry, Nina. Um, but yeah. So the the D and D. So so the Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, of course. Back when it was created and everything in the 80s, it hit its heyday in the 80s and 90s with TSR and stuff. They ripped off anything, any legends and stuff in the public domain that they could, you know, Baba Yaga, you know, all, all that good stuff. And they didn't, they did it with Dracula as well, uh, with Ravenloft. And the powers of a D&D vampire uh, are taken straight from Bram Stoker's Dracula, the novel, the turning into mist, the, the bat, you know, it's, it's, like everything Dungeons and Dragons vampire and Count Strahd is the name of the big bad vampire in Ravenloft um, uh, was very well depicted in this movie um, uh, and such as far as his abilities and such. So yeah, this, this was a really good D and D movie. This was a, this was a, a, a great Ravenloft movie. Uh, I enjoyed it completely. Yeah. Okay. So I, I know. A little tangent there. I am glad you found uh, something to to like about this movie, and and from an angle I never would have looked at it from. Um, set design is great. You you, it's obviously we're all we're set on a boat, uh, with the exception of the very beginning and the very end. The whole thing is on the Demeter, and they did a great job of of making you feel both kind of claustrophobic, especially when you're under decks because it's an old wooden ship. And the movie even calls out, yes, even for its age, this is an old ship. Um, it looks great. The the set design uh, looks both believable and and creepy, and like it doesn't feel over designed. It feels like you never disbelieve you're on a ship, but at the same time, they they evoke a lot of uh, terror and and fright from this one setting that uh you know with the right lighting can be creepy as hell but never looks like it was designed just so it would look creepy if that makes sense uh, the 
the cast, uh, mostly people I've never seen before. I think the biggest names, and I don't even know their names. Uh, the Onion Knight from Game of Thrones plays the captain. Uh, this is how terrible of a host I am. I didn't even bother to look up their names. And uh, David Dishimishmish, the that guy. Uh, okay. Polka Dot Man from the Suicide Squad and all kinds of other stuff he's in. Uh, kind of plays against type. He's he's the the uh, the XO of the ship who plays kind of a tough guy role. um but yeah but even though names are great and and one thing this movie does and i'm getting this slight spoiler territory so if you haven't seen it yet jump ahead of you know 20 seconds um this movie breaks two rules that most horror films tend to follow in a horror film certain people generally speaking are kind of safe they're kind of off limits Animals and kids usually, especially dogs, usually get through a movie okay. This movie kills both a dog right away and a kid. And they not only have the kid get bit by a Dracula and then go through the whole ordeal of we're going to bury him at sea and the captain thinks he sees him move and he comes back as, but then we watch the kid flame on like the human torch. Oh. And at that point I was like, Oh my God, we're going there. Okay. Oh, this movie oh, doesn't was, give a fuck. No, that was, that was a beautiful scene. Like, uh, uh, you know, the, 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 the actor, yeah, I think did a, did, a, did a great job being, you know, being a kid, then being a vampire, then, you know, you know, uh, Catching on the fire. Eternal cold and, cat. Yeah. Well, yeah, but then not only does he be, get it, but but then he's tossed into the sea, and we track on him, you know, falling into the depths of the sea, like just wow. We're just oh, we're just not pulling off this shot, are we? No, we're gonna fall all the way down. Yeah. It stabs him. It twists the knife. It stabs him a few more times. It pisses on the corpse. <laughs> it revels in breaking these rules. Uh, but that being said, they're not gratuitous. Uh, well, okay, they're almost (laughs) the kid thing might be crossing the line into gratuitous, but but that scene is so beautiful because because the captain is so stricken with grief. Uh, um, and it's it's some of the best acting in the movie, yeah. Uh, and it's 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 so great, uh, because it then provides motivation for that character, the captain, kind of into the third act. Um, now that being said, I, I'm a, I'm an animal lover, and I don't I don't like it when they do bad stuff to animals in movies uh, and such. That being said, when I at, at the beginning of the movie when I saw the dog, I'm like, oh, the dog's gonna die. You know, the dog has to die. There's, there's no way, just, you know, because obviously he's gonna constantly alert them to where, you know, uh, Dracula is uh, and stuff. Um, but they handled it well. You know, like it happens off screen. Like there's a flash of Dracula coming out of the shadows and then that's it. And then we cut like the next scene that you see is there's the dog's corpse, but it's in shadow. And you can you you can tell it's a, 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 a prop. It's it's not. Yeah, we didn't put makeup on a real dog. It's it's yeah. It's, yeah, I mean, it's you know, it's, it's not bad. It, it's handled well. Um, but that and not just the dog, too. But we kill all the livestock. We do, but once again, chickens, pigs, goats—it's off, it's, it's off camera. Um, 
But that being said, I don't even know why the dog is. I don't, the only the only thing I can think the dog is there is to provide some kind of motivation with the kid. But I don't I don't get it. Like there's nothing happened. You could take the dog out and still have everything play out the way it played out. In my head, the dog is there because again, this movie is alien on a boat, and in lieu of Jonesy the cat who has that one fantastic scene where the cat Jonesy, the cat is backing away from seeing the xenomorph. We get this one great scene of the dog seeing something in the darkness, knowing something's there starting to growl and then kind of starting to back away a bit. And then we cut yeah. and the dog. So again, to me, it's just an homage to alien and I'm fine yes. with it, but you're right. The dog doesn't really have a plot point to be there other than, Dracula start once they take his lunch. Yeah, he does jump right to Otto's kill all the humans. No, uh, he gets the animals first and then... the progression. Yeah, because so. it also buys you a little more time of um, what I always call the plausibility meter in these horror movies. Of um, why didn't we immediately just turn the ship around and go back to port? Why don't we immediately call for help? That kind of thing in a horror movie of of we have to, the story has to continue to the point of no return, but we have to have a plausible explanation for why we got there. And this is okay. Well, something struck the animals. Okay. Yeah. Well, that and also you've got so you've got the bonus pay if they can make London in a specific time frame, which means the first hint of trouble, which is after the first or the second crewman dies, like the first crewman, they kind of they play off. Because you know, he's the one that gets bitten and, and, and like he's injured, but he isn't full out dead yet. So like, oh no, he's he's sick. Like I think it's plague or something, right? Yeah. And then the second one is the one who's just flat out dead. Or is yeah. it in reverse? And, yeah. It, well, anyway, but I think it's reverse order. But um, but then no, no, because remember he disappears. Remember they they didn't get though they find him. Yeah. Anyway, but the whole thing is you know the crew is like no, we push on because you know I don't want to give up that bonus money or anything. And then by the time it becomes apparent and everybody has is is of the mindset that it's not a mundane reason, like it's something we can't fight. There, there's the great captain's journal log where he's like, London is now the closest port. We have to continue going anywhere else. is just stupid at this point. But yeah. So the time, the, the timing on it uh, happens very well. They, they do a good job with that. I think. Uh, yeah, my only um, hold on, my <clears throat> so the end of the movie kind of bookends um, into the proper no- Dracula novelization story, kind of. Uh, and this is something we talked about post movie. So our our main character is uh, a learned doctor who cannot find work because he's black. Uh, people hired him and then he shows up and then they immediately don't have a position anymore because they didn't know he was black beforehand. That's kind of the, the thing they put is this guy is very qualified, immensely talented as a doctor, but cannot find work as a doctor. So surely when we got to the end of the film and he's survived and made it to London, I was like, okay, this is a prequel sort of to Dracula. I can't imagine they don't try to kind of either plant a seed for future movies or give a wink wink nudge nudge to people who know where the story goes from this point on i thought for certain we'd see him getting a job at dr seward's sanitarium because where's a place a learned doctor could find work regardless of his because it's kind of you know demeaning work at that and at that era anyway uh 
I thought for sure we'd see him working in, in Dr. Seward's sanitarium and maybe uh, sort of have a little Silence of the Lambs-ish kind of thing of, of him being taken to meet Renfield, who shares this this sort of, you know, the story as Renfield tells reminds him of the thing he's done. I thought we'd kind of get that. Instead, what we get is this weird kind of a spoiler for the end of the movie. Uh, this weird, he's in a bar and resolves that I know where the bastard sleeps. <coughs> I'm going to go take him out. But then Dracula's in the bar, which gives us our one kind of glimpse of Dracula sort of fully formed back in the, the cloak and top hat with the, the walking stick. Um, but he still looks like a corpse with giant teeth. Yeah. He, he's still he's still somewhat Max Shrek, uh, just 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 with a top hat and a cloak, uh, and, and and everything. And yeah, even even if we didn't see him like like working in Doctor Seward's you know uh, hospital or anything, maybe maybe inquiring as to where he could get work or something like that. And like you see a like he he's handed like a flyer or something, you know, help wanted. See you know blah blah blah. So I don't see Doctor Seward's so a name drop or something yeah. would have been nice. Uh, or a flyer for Van Helsing's, uh, you know, in town for a lecture or something. Uh, something that would tie us back in. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Because uh, where we find ourselves is <clears throat> the 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 film ends fairly lockstep with where the novel has events ending. The the ship crashes on shore. The captain tied to the wheel. Um, but we end up with a a a bonus character who's not in the novel anywhere, um, who's still alive and kicking, who still has knowledge of Dracula, um, but is nowhere in Bram Stoker's original novel. So what do you do with that? Um, unfortunately, I don't think we're ever going to get a direct answer because this film with a $45 million budget, which is pretty low by today's standards, uh, opened to $6.5 million at the box office. Uh, that's only U.S. It hasn't opened uh, in very many other territories out of the U.S. yet. Um, but it's not doing great. That's because the B unit is still filming the Spanish versions, the Spanish scenes. Uh, they had to get on the sets later. Yeah, yeah, they were they they were they're doing reshoots and stuff right now. So. Uh, but that segues into our final sort of topic or section of this topic, which is so that's what we've gotten up to a couple weekends ago as far as Dracula. And granted, that's very cherry picked, very abridged. But um, what's coming down the pipeline? Um. I'm only going to name one. I had two, and then the more I looked into one, I don't think it's really a Dracula thing. Uh, there is a new Castlevania series coming. I don't think Dracula's actually in it. So Castlevania Nocturne, off the list. But there is one project I am super stoked and excited about, and I want Scott to be stoked about it too. <clears throat> there is currently, in I believe, post-production. I tried to, to best I could to look into it. This project was originally announced back in 2015. Had a lot of false starts and stops along the way, but currently scheduled. Well, okay, doesn't have a schedule for release yet, but uh, currently having wrapped filming in May of this year is a remake of Nosferatu. Oh, really? 
from director Robert Eggers. If you don't know his name, prior to this, he has done The Witch, The Lighthouse, and The Northman. Fantastic director. Beautiful source material for him to work with. The cast. Uh, originally, we were going to have uh, Anna Taylor-Joy as as the Mina Harker character. Sadly, she had to drop out because of other commitments. She's doing a Mad Max prequel. Um, so she's being replaced with Lily Rose Depp, who you probably maybe saw in Yoga Hosers, or maybe you saw her in HBO Max's The Idol, um, or you haven't seen her in anything. Uh, but she's playing Ellen, the Mina character. Nicholas Holtz, who was Renfield earlier this year, uh, took over as Thomas Hutter, which is the Jonathan Harker role, uh, which was originally set for Harry Styles. He also had to drop out because of other commitments. Bill Skarsgård, not to be confused with Alexander Skarsgård. Mm-hmm. Um, you know him as It Pennywise from the, the last It movie or um, then last year's The Barbarian. Uh, great horror movie. He is playing Count Orloff and Scott. I'm going to clinch the deal. If you weren't excited yet, you're about to be now in the role of <clears throat> Professor Albin Eberhardt von Franz. Frankenstein. A.K.A. Van Helsing. Uh, uh, Robert Neger's human good luck charm, Willem Dafoe. I love Willem Dafoe. Uh, like I said, filming, as far as I could tell, completed, wrapped in May of this year it's currently in post-production um <clears throat> no release date yet and that won't get one because the current strikes going on right now i don't think they'll give it a release date anytime soon but it is coming i, I can't would, wait yeah that's gonna be interesting uh it's gonna be fun to watch uh, uh definitely gonna have to do a rewatch of nosferatu before watching that just to just to kind of see you know where things are and how they reinterpret the thing. Um, look, Robert Eggers is an amazing director. Those movies, uh, Northman yeah. is is my favorite movie that year. One of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, he has this great uh, um, visual aesthetic of using only natural light for the films. Uh, Northman was a Viking epic, and he went to the places where the Viking epics happened and built real sets and real places with real actors. Um, lighthouse is two guys stuck in a lighthouse, uh, slowly going crazy. It's Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson, and it's amazing. Um, all black and white, stark lighting. Uh, and then The Witch or the Vivich, because it's spelled with the VV, like old school typesetting. Uh, one of the creepiest slow burn horror movies maybe ever uh, about this family who's shunned from their pilgrim society. So they go start a, because the someone's accused of being a witch in the family. So they go start their own little uh, uh, farm and then weird shit starts happening on the farm and may or may not involve an actual witch. And it's again, slow burn, but beautiful um i cannot wait for him to take on this source material uh, i can only imagine he's only gotten better as a filmmaker and i can only imagine what what sites he has to show us to borrow a line from another horror franchise okay. um yeah i am definitely definitely on board for this 100 percent whenever it comes out uh yeah again it's 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 
there's not a lot of information to go on right now. I had to cobble that from multiple sources um, and take it with a grain of salt because some of them were sources that I really hadn't heard before. But as far as I can tell, it has rap shooting. So <clears throat> that Wait. being said, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. No. Uh, our, our final, final, final topic. So that's what we've gotten. That's what we know is coming down the pipeline. Scott, is there anything you as a fan of Dracula really want to see on film from a Dracula or Dracula related film? Yes. Uh-huh. What would that be? I want to see the, the rest of the last voyage of the meter. <laughs> uh, well, Fair. I want to see a follow-up movie. I don't want it to be a trilogy, of course. I just want another follow-up movie that gives us the story of Dracula from this point on. Now, yes, we we are left with with our Mr. Clemens, our our ad hoc bonus character, our bonus character, which, like any good, you know, eighty slasher movie, you can kill off quite easily, you know, in the the first part of the next movie because they never survive through the next movie. So, you know, you 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 do the whole introduction of him into the Dr. Seward and that's how you introduce the other cast of characters and what's going on and and interspersed with that, we have Mina reading letters from her husband which gives us flashbacks to what happened before Rise of the Demeter and giving us that villain. Yes. I'm with you, but I'm not. Okay. It does need to be a trilogy. Movie okay. 2 picks up after the Demeter and we get young rejuvenated Dracula in London. Okay. Movie three is a prequel set from Jonathan Harker's POV as he's traveling to Transylvania and meets old Dracula and is entrapped in his castle. And it ends with him having to escape castle Dracula and getting back to Mina. See, I I don't, I don't think that's enough meat to carry a whole movie. The slow unraveling of what and who Dracula is, the brides tempting him, figuring out the the packing the the, the gypsies packing the earth to, to move it out, and then realizing he's a prisoner in this weird castle. You can do so much with just the setting of he's trapped in Castle Dracula. Yeah. Now I agree that all this still has to be told, and whether you do it as a flashback in in the second movie or you give it its own movie as a third installment going back, you do have to book in. If it would work better as a third movie. You could bookend the whole end of that movie with him sabotaging the the, the crate that uh, uh, Dracula's lunch is in, which is why it, it, it breaks open. In he last... tried to get her out, but couldn't. Yeah, That's why it's loose. It, yeah, it it a little bit. Yeah. Look at you. Look, if we can take a middle chapter of Dracula and pull it into a two-hour movie, we can take the first third quarter. Of the Dracula novel and make that a movie too. Um, I'm with you. I, look, this 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 director and, and set uh, this movie is great. I would not complain about seeing this cast and crew. Well, not cast, but this crew. Yeah. Uh, getting together and doing more Dracula stuff, I'd fine with that. Uh, that being said, I have one pitch for you, Scott. All right, go ahead. So just this past year, uh, we both had the pleasure and honor of meeting. Um, Dacker Stoker, the de- de- descendant of Bram Stoker. He himself, uh, along with Ian Holt, has written Dracula the Undead, a direct official sequel to Bram Stoker's novel, set 25 years after the events of Dracula. 
Scott, I'm only 132 pages into this book. And goddamn, I want this to be a movie so bad. <laughs> Specifically, I want this to be a movie because the timeline almost syncs up. It's a little past it now, but we're almost there. I want the cast of the Coppola 92 Dracula to reunite for an adaptation of this. Man, that would be nice. I mean, it's, it's, the, the book takes place 25 years later. We're uh, almost, yeah. So 92 to 2002, 2012, we're at 30 years right now. Thirty. So we're a little over, but still. Is it? Has it really been 30, 31 years? Yeah. Yeah, we're old. Yeah. God. Yeah. But still, Anthony Hopkins, Gary Oldman, Keanu Reeves. I don't care about the accent. Uh, uh, Winona Ryder. Uh, uh, Carrie Elways. The only person who couldn't come back because he died in the first book would be the Rocketeer is Quincy. But that's okay because in this novel, uh, one of the main characters is Jonathan and Mina's son, who was named Quincy in honor of the original Quincy. So, hey, we get a Quincy again. Nice. Um, it's also got a bunch of new characters. <coughs> There's some stuff you'd have to cut to streamline it, but I would love to see that cast come back to do this story. And I'm not, I'm not even done with this story, and I love it. Um, um, yeah. Yeah, well, it, 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 it kind of feels like the, uh, the, the board game that I like uh, would, would have... Uh, Taking place between these two stories. Oh. A little bit. You know, the Fury of Dracula. That I've yet to play. That you have yet to play. You should totally play that. We should. I would love to. It's a it's it's a fun little game. Uh and I and I do need to get it back out of the table before Sin City Con, because I plan on running it at Sin City Con. I need to refamiliarize myself with, with how it plays. So cool. Need to remember. Anyway, but yes, that yeah. That would be awesome. I would, I would love to. Uh, I would love to, 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 to watch that, especially like you said with the, 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 the cast reunion from '92. That would be. I awesome. don't know what it would cost to get that cast together nowadays, but gotta be awesome. What about John Wick versus Dracula? Okay. <laughs> so, so Blade. Yeah, sort of. Um, so that's our look at Dracula films now look there's a shit ton we didn't talk about and cover because there has been a hundred plus years of Dracula films and adaptations and this these are only movies that are more or less direct adaptations of Dracula this doesn't include stuff where Dracula's a character so stuff like Monster Squad Blade Trinity uh, all kinds of movies that have Dracula in them, but it isn't necessarily a Dracula movie. We didn't cover any of that stuff. Um, that being said, spooky season is coming up uh, upon us. Would you like to see us do more uh, Dracula, or is there another? You know, do you want to see us do a Frankenstein retrospective? We'll do it. Um, <laughs> let's say Creature from the Black Lagoon, but there'll only be only be one movie to watch. <laughs> um, Wolfman, that'd be fun. The history of the Wolfman. If you like this, you want to see us do more of it, let us know. Uh, what's your favorite film version of Dracula? Did we cover it on this show? Did we not cover it? Which of the 85 sequels to the Christopher Lee one should we start with? <laughs> uh, I'm just going to pick by coolest and sounding name. Uh, so Taste the Blood of Dracula is coming up. 
Um, the juicy last word of the meter. What did you think? The juicy Renfield. What did you think? Um, is there a Dracula project you want to see happen? Let us know. Till next time, this has been your weekly nerd alert. Blah. <laughs> Thank mm-hmm. you.